The Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, Episode 34. You're listening to the Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, where we explore the real stories of real people who have discovered the profound healing properties of the cannabis plant in their own lives. Find more at CannabisHealsMe.com. Cannabis Heals Me podcast is brought to you by The Grow CFO. For all your cannabis accounting and tax needs, find out more information at www.thegrowcfo.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. I am your host, Rachel Kennerly, and we are so pleased you're joining us again today as we broadcast from the Storybook Inn Studios. And I know I tell you guys this every week or every episode, but we feel very blessed that you have decided to devote this time to us. I know there are a lot of other shows out there that are putting out great content, so the fact that y'all are willing to spend a couple hours each week with me, I really appreciate it. We are going to be talking today about the history of cannabis prohibition, because I think it's important for us to know the roots and the basis for government policies so that we can get a full sense of why those policies were enacted and decide whether or not it's good for the country to continue with those policies. It took me a while to find someone to come on and talk about the subject, because I don't really like doing solo episodes, and I actually found our guest today by listening to a podcast that he hosts. He's a very engaging, passionate speaker, and he's going to be talking about a subject that I think is fascinating, so I really believe that you're going to enjoy today's episode. But before we get too far into today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement. I recently set up a Patreon account. I've had several people contact me about sponsorship opportunities, and Patreon makes it easy for folks to sponsor the show and for me to offer benefits to those sponsors. We have a few different sponsorship tiers to choose from, and you can find those over at www.patreon.com slash chmpodcast. Now, these Patreon proceeds will not benefit me personally. Every single penny is going to be plowed back into the show for advertising and growing our audience. I have been so inspired by the stories that we've shared, and I want them to reach more people. And I need your help to do that. If you would like to see these stories reach a larger audience, then go check out www.patreon.com slash chmpodcast. So today's guest, Shane Hazel, is going to be talking to us about the history of cannabis prohibition. Shane is a Force Reconnaissance Marine who ran for Congress as a Libertarian in 2018. These days, he and his buddy Banks Wise host a podcast called The Rebellion, which I listen to as often as I can. So I was really excited when Shane agreed to come on the podcast and talk about the history of the war on drugs. Now, I want to warn you that we're both libertarians, so that means we didn't just stick to this one topic. We talked about a couple other things, but I think you'll enjoy it. We are very pleased to welcome Shane Hazel to our program today. Shane, I had heard you on your podcast, The Rebellion, and you and your co-host Banks were talking about the history of cannabis prohibition. And I've been wanting for quite some time to have somebody come on and talk about that. And I I really enjoyed how passionate you guys were about it. And so I I was like, well, shoot, we'll, we'll ask Shane to come on the program and talk about that. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you giving me the the floor and, and the microphone to to do this. One of my favorite things to do is just help the reindoctrination, or I should say, you know, cancel out the indoctrination process that we were all fed 
through the government indoctrination centers, all of the politicians and everything else, because we have such a great, rich history uh, that we don't even know. And it's exciting. It's it's one of those things that paints a, a much bigger, fuller picture for, you know, a lot of the things that we hold dear, you know, our inalienable rights, first and foremost. Um, some people, you know, in the constitutional government, even if, you know, they don't want to go further than that. I, I know most people do. Uh, in in this crowd. It's just, it's a pleasure to be on with you, and I, I appreciate you giving me the platform. Absolutely. We're pleased you came on to talk about it. Like I said, you were just so passionate when you were discussing this topic. So today, I'm going to play the role of Banks Wise, uh, <laughs> except not quite as smart, and I have shoes on. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, Banks is uh, he's a smart cracker, and uh, actually, I, can I even say that? Uh, I mean, like a smart cookie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he does not wear shoes this time of year, that's for sure. But uh I gotta yeah, wear I mean, chicken poops, so I gotta wear shoes. <laughs> I guess we should probably kind of start from you know, from the beginning. Yeah. And I think it's you know, I think it's funny. I mean, you live in eastern Texas, I live down here in the Bible Belt in Georgia, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the biggest things that people get hung up on uh, down here is, you know, the the, the old reefer madness and and talking about you know, how this just absolutely destroys lives and families and communities uh, in terms of cannabis. And, you know, first of all, obviously, it's in their indoctrination kicking in. There's a lot of fear there as well. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to me, especially in the Bible Belt, you know, when, when we look at like Genesis 129 and through 131, I mean, every plant on earth, you know, from a biblical standpoint, for people who will, you know, will beat you over the head with a Bible— uh, this is where you know we we really start to really understand that this has been a part of our human history for a long time. And I mean, hell, it, I mean, it goes back to China. Uh, it made its ways through the Silk Roads into the Arabian Peninsula, where it became hashish because you know, obviously they they had to do things uh, to to make the plant stable enough to where they could spread it over long routes. And uh, it finally hit Europeans, I guess, somewhere around 500 A.D. Um, in 500 AD, uh, there was, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going on in Europe at that time. I mean, you've gone through, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the worst periods imaginable there. And you start to some, see some people, um, using, uh, cannabis and I, and I hate to say, I will never say marijuana on purpose. Um, but you know, starting to use cannabis in their culture and you start to see art flourish and design flourish and, you know, playwrights and things of that nature where this is, this is doing something to a culture that I think that it's done throughout history. And that is, there is a, a rebellious side to this, you know, not to, you know, not to get into rebellion, Mm -hmm. but there is, there is a rebellious side to this because what art, uh, and, uh, the plays, uh, what design a lot of times just would do is poke fun at uh, at the crowns, and that was one of those things that was you know highly entertaining for people back then, highly dangerous, yeah. but also highly entertaining. And uh, it was around uh, 1545 that the Spanish started bringing cannabis over to the shores of uh, obviously uh, what was then you know 
a, a, a fledgling land. Um, at, at that time, there, there wasn't any, you know, real toll hold. People could barely survive at that time. They didn't, most people didn't make it through the winters. And you know, I mean, there was entire, uh, you know, entire villages that had landed to try to colonize that were absolutely wiped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And then entered, you know, Jamestown, somewhere around, uh, you know, 1610, 1611. Uh, Jamestown uh, is where cannabis really takes hold inside the United States for the first time as a crop, a, you know, an, an agricultural type crop. And it's because it was so damn useful. And it was, you know, when, when we talk about it, you know, in, in history class, uh, if you ever were even exposed to something like this, what you're told is that, you know, there was rope and textiles and paper and things like that. And if they ever attributed it to cannabis or hemp, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was, you know, one of those things where they kind of just left it at that. But it was so much more than that. It, I mean, they made, you know, they made not only the, the rope uh, and, and paper and, and cloth, so you're, you're talking about more ways of communication, um, more ways of, of getting uh, these products to market, because at this time, you know, we're still a seafaring type uh, civilization. You know, everything is through trade, and so the rope that uh, was on ships, the sails that were on ships that powered that uh, those ships at that time, a lot of the oil that lit lamps so people could stay up later into the night where they could read and transmit, you know, the, the written word, uh, from one place to another. So you have all of this happening, you know, and w- what you're seeing is, um, you know, basically, basically what you see with the technological revolution of today is you've got more people going more places, going faster, transmitting more ideas because of cannabis and it's this plant that really pushes uh you know america you know pre-crown post-crown into the world stage because what they were able to do uh in terms of reaping the benefits of the land and this this plant was just a it was a miracle plant it's always been a miracle plant from the beginning of time it was it's been a miracle plant I mean, we we were using it long, long ago. I mean, there are there are scripts from China through the Arabian Peninsula, uh, Egypt, where they talk about you know basically rheumatoid arthritis, um, stomach pains, birth pains, everything that they could use this for, uh, they were using it for. And so you see this explosion inside the United States. And what I I what I think is you know kind of one of those really cool things is. Um, because of the rebellious nature of these types of crowds, one of my favorite founding fathers, um, especially early on, was Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. And Thomas Jefferson, I think most people understand him as the father of the Declaration of Independence. This guy could write and speak like m- most other men could only imagine. And uh, it's it's, you know, I don't think any bit ironic that when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, he did so on hemp. I mean, you, you talk about independence and the ability to, you know, use the earth at, you know, at our discretion, basically to make it as profitable um, as possible and, and to improve people's situations and lives, you know, that independence that took hold took root here in the United States as a as a you know turnabout because we were using so much cannabis and hemp and, and 
products and and painkillers and everything else this this was a a really neat moment and i think it's you know obviously over time it's been it's been completely and absolutely lost on americans that hey this this type of cultivation that's going on this type of agriculture that's going on with with cannabis has given the united states something extremely special in the world um that that that's been lost over the years um it, it kind of, I mean, it, it spans another, I don't know, 120 plus years after that point. Uh, we go through the American Revolution, the American Civil War. Um, at that time, in the early 1900s, is when the American Empire really starts uh, to grow. Uh, and I and I say that because obviously, once upon a time, we were absolutely the smallest government ever conceived. Um, and then into the early 1900s because of what happened with Abraham Lincoln uh, and, and really you know taking out loans with war and banks and, and all this where secession was no longer a uh, you know a possibility for states uh, you know we, we lost over half a million uh, men, women and children in that terrible war. Uh, it changed the course of history. And you start to see this American empire develop out of what was supposed to be a very small and defined, uh, almost negligible national government that was only supposed to, you know, hold on to, you know, the, the powers of war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. And so in the early 1900s, uh, they start to ban or prohibit uh, certain things in uh, drugs because they were having things like opium epidemics. Obviously, we know exactly how awful that can be uh, in, in current times. And then uh, you, we, hit, uh, we hit 1910. And 1910 um, was kind of this really interesting year. In, in 1910, the, the Mexican Revolution uh, brings a ton of Mexican immigrants into the United States. Yeah. Um, that that caused quite a stir, uh, especially out in California. Um, but we got to re- also remember in 1920 uh, in Europe and in some of the parts of the northeast of the United States, this is also the era of Fabian socialists, guys like George Bernard Shaw and you know evil monsters like Margaret Sanger. These people are eugenicists. And they are absolutely some of the most racist people that have ever, ever walked the planet. I mean, you, when, you, when you talk about, you know, evil incarnate, um, you know, when, when they talked about the, the different races and, and how, you know, black and brown people and people of, of not, you know, basically Aryan descent were a scourge on society. And that's, you know, obviously with Margaret Sanger, that's, that's exactly where we get... Um, you know, Planned Parenthood. It was it was crafted to get rid of of the black communities, and it's. I mean, if you look at it, it's done. I mean, upwards of seventy million babies since then. So, when when we're talking about this time, this is when uh, you know marijuana with an H comes into the picture, and a lot of what's going on is out in California because they're, the Mexicans are fleeing up to California. And that's about 1913 is the first year uh, cannabis is made illegal in a state. And that state, ironically, was California. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> when you when you look at history, you're just going, all right, well, maybe maybe because they were the first to criminalize it, you know, maybe you know, you fast forward into 1996, you know, and and making it medicinal, maybe it's turnaround that's fair play that they were, you know, some of the first people to decriminalize it medically at least uh, back then. So, um. What happens in the, you know, we, we fast forward into the 1920s. Uh, we have obviously prohibition of alcohol at this time. Um, and you start to see uh, the rise of recreational use of cannabis. And this is happening, uh, you know, across the United States. And I forget exactly what they call them. I think they were calling tea rooms at yeah. the time where people would get together. They play music, jazz music, whatever, you know, that they, they were doing. And, you know, they would partake in recreational cannabis. The thing is, is this this community, this wasn't a dangerous community, and obviously you've got a few here and there that are obviously still, you know, going after alcohol and, and, and getting into that as well. But for the most part, these people were not making trouble for society. They weren't, you know, violent in their community. There wasn't, you know, a mass amount of murders or rape or assault or property damage or coercion or anything that's really a crime. Um, but what's happening is, is you're having the intermingling at that time in the face of all these Fabian socialists of different, you know, people, different people with different amounts of melanin in mm-hmm. their skin. Yep. And they didn't, they didn't like it. They just wanted to shut it down. I mean, when, when, when you, when you look at the, the quotes and you start to see exactly how this happens, I mean, it, it, history is, you know, it's right there for us to consume. Uh, but one man above most uh, is responsible for pushing this uh, into you know where we are today with the drug war, and that was this guy named Harry Anslinger. Um, at the you know he he was the first uh, FBN, uh, the first uh, commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Um, before that, though, you know, and, and you know, I obviously think that history is extremely important when you're looking at. Uh, you know, who a person is and what their motivations are. Harry Anslinger was previously the assistant commissioner for the, the Prohibition Bureau. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's already down this Prohibition road, you know, locking people up, destroying property, raiding, you know, peaceful people's, uh, you know, places of business, homes, you name it. This guy is, you know, he's one of the guys that is responsible for basically taking our peace officers, making them more law enforcement types, and militarizing from the very beginning, you know, a, a SWAT type raid inside of, in, you know, inside of the United States. And so this, this goes on and on. Awful guy. Um, one of, one of the things that, you know, I, I really try to make sure that people know is like, I'm not, you know, we're not just, we're not here to just, you know, tell you that this guy's a racist and this is why I did. I think it, it really, it needs some sort of definition in his own words to, to bring this to light. And I've got a, I've got a quote here. Um, it's, this is from Harry Anslinger. It says reefer, uh, quote, reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. And the primary reason to outlaw marijuana is its effect on the dangerous races, uh, the end quote kind of. So you can you can start to see that you know this guy you know his motivation is is one thing. He's he's found a, a you know a fault line right In, inside of the United States, and this is what this is the mo of the government mm-hmm. every time everywhere divide the people 
first and foremost, put white people against black people and prey on their fear. Uh, in this case, you know, where, you know, he, he said something like, quote, there are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and others. And what a disgusting. Disgusting. Yes. I mean, I mean what, what an absolutely awful human being, yeah. right? And I think most people don't realize the, the racist background, the racist history of the war on drugs, of, of, of cannabis prohibition. Yeah, it, it, and, and that's this. It's it's just streaked with it, you know, and, that, and that's where they started, you know, this this really this dominance of you know taking citizens of the united states mm-hmm. and, and now making them subjects of the united states again so it's you know f- for me it, it's obviously as, as plain as day and i i think if more people actually knew this history and you know kudos to you for putting on podcasts that deal with this all the time um i, I think you know the, the cannabis prohibition in this country would have been over decades ago Right, but they, people um, so, have been indoctrinated their whole lives to think it's one thing when it's really not, and, and unfortunately, it's it still affects minority communities at a deeper level than it does the white community. Well, and 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 that's the th- you know that's exactly right. I mean, when you look at the, the way this was implemented. Um, when when you when you look at communities where people have been debarred the use of firearms mm-hmm. so that they can protect their property and things, um, you know those those neighborhoods become first and foremost less safe. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know, we can get into guns another time, but it's, <laughs> that that is obviously factually uh, and statistically provable across the board is where you have a, a large amount of people who carry and understand how to implement. Uh, firearms, your your crime rate goes down. So, first and foremost, guns are gone. Now you've criminalized, you know, cannabis in in these areas. Um, on when when you do that, what you're now doing is is creating a criminal culture. I mean, you've got law abiding citizens, and with a stroke of a pen, all of a sudden, people who arm themselves are now criminals, and anybody who is doing anything with cannabis mm-hmm. is criminals. Um, you know, and, and I think it was in 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act, you know, they, they, they go through the Congress with this where, where Harry Anslinger, not a doctor, right. not, a, not a medical professional, just a, he, he is a bureaucrat, always has, always was, always, you know, there was, no, there was no other life story to this guy. And really, after Prohibition ended, these guys that the Department of Prohibition, they had nothing to do. And God forbid the government exactly. get rid of a bureaucratic department. Right. I mean, to, and, and not that, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was the, the greatest guy around. But I mean, one of his quotes where he said the greatest, the, the closest thing we'll come to eternal life here on Earth is a government program. <laughs> he is exactly right. You know, like he, this guy, he, he nails it with that one. And this is no different. You know, prohibition just it went from alcohol to cannabis. Right. Um, there was a lot of lobbying that went on. Uh, obviously, the, um, the the people in the cannabis industries were hit out of nowhere. They, for 
two years they wrote this legislation in secret, and then they popped it on everybody that were out there. And then they called it marijuana, not cannabis, which everybody's like, ooh, this scary drug marijuana, we've never heard of that. It must be terrible. Exactly right. And and so th- this this propaganda goes on and on and on. You start to see, um, you know, like cartoons, you see reefer madness mm-hmm. pop out and everything in terms of the cartoons. What's depicted is you've got, you know, your, your darker skinned type uh, satanic type drawings where they're de- depicting black people as as Satan or, or and, and even brown people. It's just it. It's so ridiculous, and I don't understand. You know, for the life of me, I, I guess fear is just one of those very powerful motivators. Yep. And when you don't have the internet and, and and the means of communication that we have today, you know, maybe it's one of those things that people were just, you know, they they just kind of close their eyes and said, "Well, it doesn't affect me." And all of a sudden, now, you know, you you fast forward through 1937 when we had those the the, um, the hearings before the Ways and Means Committee. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting, you know, during that time, and we, as we mentioned, he wasn't a doctor. You know, he didn't have any real studies done. There was another doctor that testified there. And, you know, his, his testimony off of real medical science and in, in industry uh, was, was one of those where he totally rebuked um, what Harry Anslinger was saying. And when, when they actually came down to it, and, and Harry Anslinger, the, the non-doctor, non-scientist, gets up and testifies, he testifies that smoking marijuana will send people into violent range, that you'll, you could kill your brother, and that cannabis is more dangerous than opium. Yeah. Straight, straight away, he is named as the, the commissioner of the, uh, the, the Bureau of Narcotics. And the very next day, and, and most people I don't think have ever heard this, is they go out to uh, Denver, Colorado, and arrest a guy named Samuel Caldwell. The very next day, wow. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly who he was, but Im- I imagine it's uh, out there. He was probably somebody who was pretty important mm-hmm. inside the cannabis industry. They throw him in jail for three years, and and when he finally gets out, he is um, he he's he dies a year later. It was it's really really uh, terrible situation. Well, the irony is that while the, all this is going on, cannabis is still listed on the U.S. Pharmacopeia. It was added in yeah. 1850. And at the same yep. time that, that Anslinger is up there arguing that there's no medicinal use and you'll go crazy if you use it, people can go down to the pharmacy and, and buy it. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in, in certain neighborhoods, right? And, and that's the thing is, you know, uh, you, you, can, you can't do it, but, but we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, how this whole thing plays out. So, yeah, I guess, I guess the next, you know, real, uh, you know, m- thing that they did was when they politicized it, uh, one, of the, one of the things that really stuck was that it was a gateway drug and that it was addictive. Um, you know, obviously, you know, through, you know, young personal use, I can tell you, you know, personally that that's not true. Uh, yeah. I can also tell you that the only side effects that I ever had from it were that I got tired and hungry and I had the best night's sleep of my my life. You know, it's it, it, it wasn't one of those things that I ever, you know, felt anything other than probably giggly and happy using. Um, and, you know, like that's that's a that's not what your government needs from you yeah. you know like you you take that and you you, you juxtapose it with something like alcohol mm-hmm. i mean alcohol and and you know obviously also through extensive research 
you know, there are there are terrible things that happen when you're inebriated on alcohol, and especially too much, and that can be addictive for some. And I don't know. I I think there are you know there are people that just have addiction problems in their life where they're filling in gaps one way or another. So whether they can get addicted to cannabis or or alcohol or whatever, there's just going to always be people who can be addicted. Um, and and but you know the, the gateway drug thing sticks, which. The next milestone is really um, about, I don't know, 30, 30, 40 years ago now Mm -hmm. um, where the Nixon report uh, comes out. So the when when President Nixon takes office, uh, he puts together a commission um, for the Controlled Substances Act uh, before it became law to study the, the the whole uh the whole understanding of where you know certain drugs should lie where they shouldn't that's where we we come up with a schedule system um but they they the participants in the commission uh included uh Republican governor uh Raymond Schaefer uh Republican congressman Tim Lee uh Carter Republican senator uh senator uh Jacob Javits and a Democratic senator, Harold Hughes. Uh, these guys are all either medical doctors, college presidents, attorneys, or psychiatrics. Like these guys have got some some real weight. So he appo- he appoints these uh, these people. I think uh, Nixon got to appoint quite a few of them, eight or nine, uh, if memory serves me, uh, of the thirteen people who were on this uh, Republican-led commission. And when when he when he Finally, you know, has I guess uh, Schaefer come back in. Um, he's he's already kind of reported this thing to uh, the Guardian in 1972, mm-hmm. and he's he's quoted as it is it is estimated that 24 million Americans have sampled the drug more than once. Yet it is still possible to go to prison for 20 years in some states on the first drug convi- conviction. Such sentences are not merely notional. Uh, in in Houston, a young civil rights worker is serving a 30-year sentence for selling three marijuana joints to an undercover agent while in Virginia. An 18-year-old high school student is not due out of jail for 20 years because he smoked marijuana with younger classmates. So in, in, in this commission, obviously, Nixon is, he is trying to push for uh, cannabis, cannabis to be a schedule one drug obviously no medical purposes whatsoever that you know that we know about um so so that he can ramp up uh this division because you know at that time you've got you've got vietnam going on you got a whole bunch of people um across the nation who are part of you know quote unquote the hippie movement uh there are writers and you know just just like what happened over in europe uh hundreds of years ago and you know they're they're coming together and they're talking, and it's all races, it's all genders, it's it's everybody just kind of puts down. They're sick of the government, you know, basically taking the lives of their, you know, some of their their greatest young men, uh, and and taking them into conscription to go fight in a in a war that was based on a lie, you know, because of the Gulf of Tonkin, and people are just pissed. Mm-hmm. It's just human nature. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, you see it now, but anyway, Schaefer comes back after uh, two years of this, and he sits down to his credit and and basically 
Uh, he concluded that cannabis is not physically addictive. It's not a gateway drug, and it's it, and it's not proven harmful uh, in any physical or psychological way. To quote him, so to have this commission turn this back in to uh, uh, to the president at that time, Nixon loses his mind. He didn't Schaefer even go so far as to say it should be decriminalized. Yes, he did. Yeah, he loses his mind, and Schaefer kept going, he, and, and he said, not only should it not be scheduled at all, this should be completely legalized and decriminalized, and, and I, I, I read somewhere a while back, and I tried to find it for the episode, but where he actually was talking about taking you know these old court cases where people had been convicted of nonviolent crimes and setting them free, and so... Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a that's a big deal. I mean, Nixon obviously he he ignored what had happened. Um, the this at that point he uh, he goes back. Nixon does, and he appoints this guy named Eastland. He's a Mississippi senator out of. Uh, oh, I should say he's a Mississippi senator. He is the guy uh, when the Supreme Court came around into the the whole desegregation. Uh, desegregation he was the guy that quoted uh, was quoted saying the Southern Institute of Racial Segregation or Racial Separation was the correct self-evident truth wow. which arose from the chaos and confusion of the Reconstruction period. Segregation is not criminal is is not uh, discrimination, Mr. President. It is the law of nature. It is the law of God that every race has both the right and duty. To perpetuate itself. When you look at who, where he went from, you know, Schaefer to this guy, he hand picked a guy that had a storied history in in deep Southern racist segregation, and and for him to 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 do something like that just obviously, you know, adds to this mountain of proof that prohibition in general is one of the most, and I hate to even use it, but it is, it is a targeting type device that is meant to keep down communities and certain communities at that. I mean, you know, and and we're finally starting to see, you know, an awakening again, but this is, you know, since the 1930s, this has destroyed urban centers. Mm-hmm. It has absolutely destroyed the family. It has destroyed uh, you know, the black the brown communities, the urban communities that are out there because let's face it, you know, everybody lives in cities. It, and and it's it's no different. If if you if you there, you're you're targeted because not only are you uh, targeted for this, but you're also over policed because this is a criminal enterprise at this point. Um so that that's kind of the history. Obviously, uh, Ronald Reagan didn't help the situation at all. I I mean, I grew up in the 1980s, and I remember you know the the Just Say No programs that they had after school, the Dare programs mm-hmm. that followed it in the 1990s. You know, and and meanwhile, what's you know really crazy is you've got people like A. G. Barr, you know, the, the 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 now Attorney General of the United States, who was also the Attorney General under. George Herbert Walker Bush, he he is one of the same guys back in the day that is helping to run and cover Iran Contra, mm-hmm. which was also funneling drugs in from uh, the Contras into the United States 
through Arkansas, where Bill Clinton was the governor at the time. It's it, like it's it, it's not you know when when you know the history of it, and you can sit there and just point to who all the players were at the same time. You can sit there and say, yeah, this all makes sense. Why would why would Bill Clinton, out of all people, become the president of the United States? It's because George Herbert Walker Bush owed him a solid. Yeah, that's it. And 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 he was never out out of the CIA. You know, and that's that's the thing is that guy. His father, you know, going uh, going back to World War II, they were in both sides of of every major conflict um, since World War II, and so to to see you know this development over the years of you know you've got Bush one, you've got Clinton who played ball, you've got Bush uh, Jr. who's obviously just this dopey kid uh, that got stuck in a position because of his family ties yeah. out there. Um, you know, Barack Obama came along and, and was kind of just, you know, a, a Manchurian candidate for lack of a better, you know, term. But, you know, what's really cool to see is now with the spread of obviously the internet and technology is where this has come. I mean, where, where we are in the United States now, I mean, we are on the edge of the end of prohibition. And I think it's, I think it's really cool. I, and I knew, you know, once Canada came on, um, you started to see Mexico starting to loosen up, uh, in the South, but then you started to see, you saw California, which is the sixth largest economy in the world come online. And you were just like, there's no stopping it now. Once, once California adopts something, you got the sixth largest economy in the world that's, you know, that's pumping money into this one way or another. And they've found a way to tax it, unfortunately, but they still have. They've managed to pretty much destroy legal cannabis with all the regulation and taxes. Yeah. <laughs> What's hysterical is there's still a bigger black market in a state where it's completely legal yeah. recreationally is because there's too much government. Yep. And then I say black market. Black market, you know, for your listeners, um, I always just call it the free market because and that and that's minus the sex trade and the in the, in the right. slave exactly. trade. Exactly. Because it's, that's not consensual, but where two people get together and they trade a plant for some money or whatever they're trading it for. Hey man, that's that's their business, and and, and we, there's there's no adult on earth that should be able to step in between two people and 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 to either lock them up or charge them or do anything with that transaction that's consensual. And then it's it's not the government's job to tell us what we can or cannot put in our bodies. Nobody comes and slaps a candy bar out of my hand and puts the cuffs on <laughs> me and puts me in jail for twenty years. But you know, God knows yeah, that it, sugar's bad for you. But oh, that that is a completely different episode. But the <laughs> let's not yeah, get too far the, afield. <laughs> the, the wormhole that is sh- the the drug of sugar is one of those that I don't think America has even the slightest clue uh, what has happened throughout the past. But it's a completely different episode, <laughs> probably a different podcast. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, in, in a nutshell, I mean, thirty five minutes worth. That is, you know. If, if if we could reach people with just that understanding yeah. of how uh, how this came to be, you know the the largest prison population on Earth, mm-hmm. where we house twenty five percent of the world's prison population, with only five percent of the, uh, the the world's population, it's out. You know, we we are we are the number one country in incarceration, both you know in 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 ratio. And in pure uh, mass, it's it's it, and, and you know it. At some point, it's got to end. I, I you know, 
I, I hate to you know, see that there are still people in Colorado and California that are sitting in you know supermax prisons right now that have n- nonviolent crimes that just had a, you know an absurd amount of you know uh, cannabis on them or you know at their at their place of residence or whatever they got caught with. But yeah, it's it. But it, I think it's changing. I think America's changed. I mean, gosh, you guys that are in Texas, the Republican Party adopted it as part of their platform. Yeah, so it's encouraging. We'll see. Keep our fingers it, crossed. <laughs> It can't be that far away. Uh, we may have to vote out a couple more Republicans. <laughs> and Democrats, right? Oh, yeah. All of them. Yeah. I mean, I've never really considered myself a single-issue voter. But to me, this isn't just about cannabis. This is about government overreach. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just pure liberty. If the politicians can't get on board with people being responsible enough to determine what's going to go in their body or not, then they need to get run out of town. You hit it, you know, the nail on the head earlier when you were saying, you know, when, when I pick up a candy bar, it's like candy bars, uh, some McDonald's. I mean, really, do we, do we need these really pretentious people who are just, you know, defaultly known as people who lie and steal Mm -hmm. and coerce? Are we going to ha- really have those people tell us what we can and cannot do with our own bodies? I mean, that it's it's one of those things where you know once you just say it out loud to people, and you know they they're at least level headed people, you know they can at least start to take that first red pill, you know. And for for a lot of people, uh, I don't know if you know cannabis is that that first red pill. It's a pretty pretty tough one for a lot of them, but. You know, given the right information, you can get any person to at least come to a place where they can question. And that is, you know, that first question. And now they've got that itch to scratch it and mm-hmm. start digging at it and say, how how am I understanding this when I've just been presented with a completely different narrative than I've ever heard in my life? And, you know, once the dominoes start falling, they fall fast. That And that's the great thing is, you know, you know, if cannabis is what brings you to that understanding, that that is a that is an awesome thing. And I can tell you, you know, as a as a veteran, you know, what I've seen in terms of veterans being helped through, um, you know, they're they're basically let's just call it a readjustment period. And I'm not talking about the, the guys that you know just hung out on the base overseas. I'm talking about the guys who were at the razor's edge of the tip of the spear in these ridiculously unconstitutional uh, wars that we've had year after year after year. They're sent over there, and then they come back, and they, you know, they're they they're sent to places like the VA, and and I hope you don't mind. This is this is one of my big pushes in terms of cannabis because no, bring it, bring it, I, I love it. What I what I've seen in terms of deaths, I mean, they talk about the number twenty two deaths a day from suicide from from these kind of veterans, and that's only half the story because a lot of these guys commit suicide in a way as to preserve all of their benefits to their family so it looks like an accident. Yeah. So you're really talking about over 40 veterans a day. Wow. And, and why does that happen? Well, there's a, there's a myriad of reasons. And on, uh, I believe, the 29th of this month, I'm really, I'm, Banks and I, we're, I'm releasing a, a story to people. And it's, it's my understanding and story to people who are thinking now about going into the military. It, and it's, it, I think we're going to call it something about, you know, what the recruiter won't tell you. Mm-hmm. So as, as guys get out and they've been, you know, operationally deployed, 
uh, over and over and over again, or even just once for God's sakes, they get out and they come home and you know, they'll go to their VA or their doctor, but a lot of times it's the VA. And the first thing that happens is you go in, you get this, you know, robotic type, uh, you know, either nurse or uh, physician's assistant or a, a doctor if you're real lucky. And the first thing they're going to do is throw pills at these kids. They're going to ask them, you know, how, how are you feeling? Are you on edge? Are you sleeping okay? Or, you know, or how is your readjustment going? And the thing is, is a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys, they kind of just trust the system a little bit. Now they might have that, that, you know, that question of doubt in their head, but it's, it's one of those things where they'll tell a doctor and the doctor without even telling them will prescribe medication for them. So whether it's, you know, for pain, for, you know, something that they, you know, some type of injury that they've got mm-hmm. or whether it's for depression, because when they come back and they look at society and they see what we're squabbling about, like these ridiculous things and, we're, and, and really, you know, they were fed this giant lie that they were running off to play Captain America and, you know, surround themselves with a flag and defend our liberty. Like they weren't, you know, they were, they were sent on these fool's errands over there. Uh, there's a great book, um, uh, Scott it, Horton. It, it's actually called yeah Scott Horton's uh, Fool's Errand. Fantastic book. Yes. If nobody's if you haven't read it, they're they're sent on these errands, and it's for the the bankers, it's for the state, it's for the military industrial complex, and when they when they see it up close and personal, and they realize that there's no mission, there never was a mission, and there never will be a mission, then they come home and they're like guys if we weren't fighting for liberty we weren't fighting for your freedom over there we definitely weren't defending the united states constitution because the biggest threat to that is here they start to get really really frustrated and they just they don't have a lot of places to turn and they 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 see it and they have a extremely hard time readjusting because to readjust you literally have to wipe their mind clean of what happened. So what do they do? They start throwing drugs at them, whether it's opioids or it's the, um, uh, the, the medicine for, you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, boy, I'm, I'm having a, PTSD I'm having a little or bit. depression <laughs> well, or PTSD, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Depression. And so what happens is they take these first set of pills and now they're on these pills. It's starting to make them feel weird. Uh, they they'll get constipated and now they got to go back and say, Hey doc, I got to have something, you know, I'm, you know, I'm either blocked up, I'm not feeling right. So what do they do? They throw more pills at them. And before you know it, now you're into a cocktail. You know, your body's not a chemistry set. It's like, get in there and, and get all this crap out. So they start feeling really, really terrible. And, you know, at the end of it, a lot of what guys do is they will actually drive down to the Veterans Association or the hospital and in their final act of defiance to send the ultimate message to the people of the United States and to the system, they will take their own life in the parking lots or in the, uh, you know, in their car, standing out in the parking lot, in the waiting room, you name it. And luckily for most people, they don't take, you know, they don't take anybody with them. They just, they do the deed mm-hmm. and it's over it. And, but they're sending that message like this stuff doesn't work. And then the same guys that were that were sold a bill of goods to get them to join the army, you're, you're fighting for our freedoms. The same guys when they come out and they want to use cannabis to to really truthfully help with these medical conditions that they have, they're told no, and we're going to put you in a cage if you if you do that. And we ca- and we catch you with it. 
we, you know, you can sit there and be the most peaceful veteran on earth. And the, the moment you touch cannabis, you're now a criminal that they will throw all of, all of your, you know, quote unquote issues, all of your readjustment, all of, all that time and service to, you know, liberty and the country and the constitution, they will throw you in prison. And so what I've seen, and, and this is, this is the great thing. What I've seen guys who have gone through uh, either rehabilitation, whether you know they were the first, uh, you know, straight to cannabis, and they skipped all of the narcotics that were out there and being pushed by their doctor, or if they were recovering from the narcotics, I have seen people regain their, you know, their livelihood, their, you know, their self, that that side that can enjoy you know, peace and quiet and, and being able to let go of things around other people where they can actually introduce themselves into society again in crowded situations, which may have been completely off limits for them before, you know, in, in terms of just kind of like self-regulation where they don't mm-hmm. want to go and be around crowds. Um, the the ability to re-engage that, that happiness in their life, I mean, you know, it's 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 an amazing med- piece of medicine, but it's also a great thing for these guys in terms of you know staying away from alcohol. You know, one of the one of the biggest killers on top of that, you know, that uh, cocktail is the the habitual drinking. And I mean, you can drink and and it's it's rampant inside. I I can speak for the Marine Corps and probably most of the Army and a lot of the Navy. Um, these guys. You know, when they're in service, uh, one of the national pastimes is drinking. They just, you know, they get off work and they 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 work hard. They play hard. Um, for those guys to be able to take you know, and choose between alcohol, which is completely destructive, and cannabis, which you know they'll get a good night's sleep. They'll probably have some Doritos, yeah, and then wake up ready to go the next day. They're not addicted to anything, and you know that first step in opening their mind to something much, much bigger than just themselves and, you know, what we experience on a daily basis, man. It is it is not only spiritual, it is it is something that we absolutely owe these these young men and women who have, you know, gone and, and done ridiculous things for this state and this country that I say the state and country, but you know, really the, the, the bankers and the, the military industrial complex. We we absolutely owe it to them. Yeah, one of our one of our former guests David, um, shoot, I've forgotten his name, but David, David, that's terrible. I'll edit that out. Uh, Dave, <laughs> leave it in. That's the best part. People see you're human. Uh, so one of our former guests, David Bass, he is, he was a, a mil, he's a military veteran. I can't remember which branch of the service and I don't want to say and be wrong. And then I'll be on the poopy list for that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but he struggled with alcoholism after he got out. And uh, when he discovered cannabis, he started using that and and not even really intending to not drink anymore. He still does it every now and then, but I mean, he's not abusing alcohol like he was. And he's down at the he's down at the Capitol in in Austin a lot. And they took a uh, they took a coffin and filled it up with all these prescription bottles for for veterans in Texas with all these I saw that all these opioids that that have been prescribed and antidepressants and all these other things. And, and we could replace that coffin with cannabis. Well, you you you, you could replace people's lives i mean and that's the thing is you know and one of these guys they're not 
they're not just a sole entity, you know, kind of blipping around out there in the universe. They've got brothers and sisters. They've got kids and wives yep. and mothers and fathers and friends and a community that loves them. And when when they can't make that transition uh, in you know, they, they, they do take their own lives and that rips, you know, that further rips communities apart. And, you know, I, I don't know I'm into conspiracy banks isn't so much, but, uh, (laughs) I'll tell you, you know, for for me, it's as plain as day of what they've done and what they're doing. They're trying to get rid of a lot of guys that really know the truth about what's happening out there who can speak intelligently to it, um, and really be leaders within their community. I'll tell you, you know, after, uh, after running for Congress down here in the in the Georgia Seventh District last year, you know, having been a you know a decorated you know combat Marine, you know the the GOP establishment didn't give a damn about that, you know, and that's the thing is they'll play they'll pay lip service to you know the the red white and blue yes. and star spangly awesomeness yes. all day long, but as soon as you stand up and you start speaking truth to them about principles, you know, peace, free markets, uh, and, and and liberty, man, they don't want anything to do with you. That you are you're treated like the plague, kept like a mushroom, you know, in the dark, and you're fed only nonsense. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, it's an amazing thing to to finally see um, where this is all kind of coming to an end, and you know, hopefully, I, I don't know how far along this federal bill is right now, but I I hope it gets a lot more traction, and I I, I hope you know for for our, everybody's sake that it starts to uh, to wean its way through. In a in a perfect world, they wouldn't talk about legalizing and regulating it; they would just decriminalize it. And then let the markets decide. Completely. But, you know, we all know yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah, we can't have people making consensual uh, transactions with each other without their hand out over there. They've got too much stuff going on. Yeah, we got to get our piece of the pie. Of course, they get a pretty big piece as a result of 280E, but that's a topic for a different day. So <laughs> that's, that's right. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my stick and my bent on, on cannabis. Yeah. And, uh, I, I've, I'll tell you, you know, if anybody uh, needs any information out there from us, uh, you can find me at, uh, at Shane T. Hazel on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I don't try to use Twitter as much as possible, even though they're shutting me down these days, but it's, uh, <laughs> you must be doing something right then Shane, if they're shutting well, you down. Well, yeah, I was going to say it, it's, it's not that they're shadow banning, uh, quote unquote Republicans, uh, out there. It's that they're really going after people who are really talking about, you know, living your life, leaving other people's alone. What we always say is don't hurt people and don't take other people's stuff. That's right. Well, I appreciate your time today, Shane. And where can folks find the rebellion podcast? Uh, you can go to rebellionpod.com. Uh, That'll take you to the Libsyn page. We are really on pretty much any platform that's out there. Uh, we've got a growing audience, and so if, if you you know if you like what you're hearing, uh, we do podcasts. We do uh, two podcasts a week, mm-hmm. uh, so bi bi weekly for about an hour and a half ish. We've got all kinds of great guests in the Liberty Movement on. Uh, we we talk about everything from the Anti Federalist, where we'll read it once in a while. Uh, to... Those were great. I love that <laughs> because I'd never read them before, and I'm like, oh my god, they traveled to the future. Yeah, <laughs> they not only did they travel to the future, uh, but they were just they were so articulate and poetic. Yeah, and the, the way that they wrote. I mean, uh, we do things like that, and obviously we comment on current events, and we try to. Uh, you know, we're we have a liberty bent. Uh, we try to you know drop every type of. 
uh, you know, fault line or, or party or politician uh, possible. And we really just kind of judge everything based on its own merit. Uh, and, and that's, that's who we are. So yeah, you can find us on iTunes and everything else out there. Um, it's rebellionpod.com. And uh, we'd be just uh, humbled to have you in the audience. Y'all are putting out some good information over there. I, I've enjoyed the show. Started listening a few months ago, and I've I listen uh, when I can. So I I, I really enjoy the show, and um, that's how I got uh, Sharon Raver on the show because I heard her story on y'all's Isn't podcast. Isn't she amazing? She's she's incredible. She is absolutely incredible, and it's been great. I I, I learned some stuff today as well. I thought I was pretty well versed. So uh, so it's nice nice to get some additional information dropped on me. That's great. <laughs> more stuff you can either forget or uh, impart on other people. Well, sadly, at my age, I forget more than I remember these days. <laughs> it's only the important stuff you remember. Yeah, so I don't know. Most of my t- most of my head is filled with useless facts. Unfortunately, I think it's a genetic trait. Well, Shane, thank you so much for coming on and and dropping some truth bombs on us and related to the history of cannabis and other things as well. So it's been a it's been a great conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good evening. You too. Well, if y'all want to hear some more great conversations like the one I had today, you need to go out and check out Shane's podcast, The Rebellion. You can find it on iTunes and all the major podcast apps, or you can go out to therebellionpod.com. Show notes for today's episode can be found at CannabisHealsMe.com slash 34. Real quick, before I let you guys go, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast that I've started listening to. Well, it's not a new podcast. It's just new to me. My friend Summer Wilkinson recommended it. It's The Uncertain Hour, and season three of The Uncertain Hour is dealing with America's drug war. And it starts kind of in the Bush senior era and goes forward and talks about the the drug policies that started then. The first episode talks about the baggie of crack that George Bush held up in his 1989 drug war speech. And they kind of look at, well, where'd that baggie of crack come from? What's the story behind that? I'm on episode three right now. I'm going to listen all the way to the end, and I highly recommend the the series to you. So if you enjoyed today's episode, then you'll probably enjoy The Uncertain Hour Season 3. We will be back here on Monday with another healing story. In the meantime, y'all have a great weekend. And don't forget to share the show. Thanks. Bye. Hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you're using. Do you have a suggestion for a guest on Cannabis Heals Me? Send an email to podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Cannabis Heals Me or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments.